Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. It is the walk-off. Holden Christian Ryan Spader today on the show. We're going to talk about the owner's proposals to the players. It was just one proposal, as a matter of fact. We're going to talk about Sammy Sosa, why he belongs in a Hall of Fame. We'll get some Will Clark stats, too. Can Barry Bond still DH if the NL teams need a DH? And the players whose Hall of Fame numbers are going to be affected most by the short season. But, Spader, let's start with this, buddy. We had the owner's proposal come out. And it's basically just uh, the first proposal, and it's horrible for the players. 65% of the players would make less than $1 million. That doesn't really bother me that much, but as far as uh, being fair, you know, what the owners are doing to the players in this first thing is just the complete low ball, as low ball as it gets. Yeah, I just don't really buy into this as an actual proposal. It's, it's again, something, and you've said it several times, where Major League Baseball is giving something to Jeff Passan or whomever. Uh, it's sort of as a leak, putting it out there. Uh, they're, they're just trying to put pressure on the players from the fans because the fans obviously want baseball. No doubt about it. And I, th- I think this was more than a leak. I think this was them actually giving this to the players, right. Spader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. And they looked at this and they just said, this, is, this has got to be ridiculous. Like Marcus Stroman threw out a tweet. He's, he's got to start thinking about things other than baseball. You know, it's easy to get caught up in it. And labor negotiations are always nasty. And as Jason Stark said better than anybody else, the worst thing to do during work stoppage or work negotiations is to pay attention to the play-by-play. So what it sounds like from me, it sounds to me from you that you think we're still going to be on track for baseball, what, in July? Yeah, I, I think we're going to get some baseball in July. And um, I, I just think it's a really bad look on Major League Baseball to have this come out the same day that the NHL did everything perfectly. Well, I'll say this again. Why are they waiting so long? They've had a long time. They've had two months to figure this out. And it always happens this way with negotiations. But you've had two months to figure it out, come up with plans, come up with safety plans. Maybe the safety plans take a little bit longer because things are very fluid and we're learning new things about the coronavirus all the time. But to do this here and, and wait till the last minute and, and the NHL is probably coming back, the NBA is probably coming back, they had better have opening day by July 4th, or I think they're screwed. And I'm telling you, if they don't play, this will be more damaging than the 94-95 strike. And I've told you the story a million times. I didn't watch baseball in 95. The only thing I watched 
was Cal Ripken Jr. setting the Ironman walk uh, mark. The next year, 96, didn't watch baseball until the World Series. They are about to do some major damage if they don't get back out there, Spader. Yeah, and the thing that I don't really understand with the owners is how they cannot be bullish on their own investments here. The the players, I mean, it's 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 awful to call a human a human being a commodity, but the, the players are like the owner's stock, and they're they're just not invested. They're not long on their own investments, and we've seen this time and time again with ninety four and eighty five, with nineteen eighty seven, with nineteen eighty one, and it it, it just is history repeating itself so if we don't get a season it's not going to be because of COVID-19 it's going to be because of a strike or a work stoppage now if they don't get a season in this year they'll be the owners will be devastated for years to come they're going to sit back on their television money but the attendance is going to be down you would think at least right it just depends how much are you starving to get out to a game like I say this now I will not watch baseball next year but I get paid now. I'm, I'm get paid to talk about baseball. I have kids. I want them to go to the games. But I still believe that if they don't play this year, and the possibilities out there, and think about this in your head, Spader. I'm going to finish my thought. But like, out of a hundred percent, what chance do you think they're not going to play? I still think that it's going to happen. But this could be a catastrophic blow to Major League Baseball if there's no games. And they're also, right now, every second that they're not out there at least getting into spring training or in some type of training, they're losing out because this is their opportunity to be the number one sport in the country, okay? This is their opportunity. And right now, the NHL and the NBA have their shit together a lot more than baseball does. I mean, you're singing my favorite song. Major League Baseball has an opportunity to capitalize on a bad happening on a... (laughs) international pandemic mm-hmm. uh, the first international incident this show has seen since um the one we had oh. when we were the wall or excuse me the best baseball podcast simon chattington <laughs> but um it, it, it's it's in a position where it seems that it's failing and i say it major league baseball is failing to do so i just have a difficult time believing that they're not going to do whatever it takes to get a season in, even if it results in owners losing money. Because if they lose money this year, well, then they stand to potentially gain it in the future. And I know people like to call out the owners because they're you know wealthy and greedy and all this thing, but the fact of the matter is you generally don't get uh, wealthy to the level of, uh, of these guys without having um, some sort of intellect and... I have to think that somebody's in their ear saying, hey, if we don't play baseball this year, regardless of whether it's going to cost you guys uh, money, profit, what have you, uh, it's going to be devastating for you long term. It is. And the other thing I think about is whether or not the owners actually have no problem with the season not going on because they might lose money. So they're losing money hand over fist, but now you get you don't have any fans and you're playing your you're paying your players without any fans, without any concessions, without any parking, which is really where they, they clean up in TV money, but they're also cleaning up with the tickets, with the concessions, with the parking. So I do wonder if there are some owners out there like saying, screw it, you know, especially the smaller markets. The Pittsburghs, the Oaklands. Why are we even going to bother doing this if it's going to cost us more money to play as opposed to just sitting out? The reason they're going to do it is because it's going to cost them more money long term. 
it's going to cause some profits in the future. Uh, I'm hoping that they see this, but I, as I've said before, they the owners have made this mistake in the past where they don't do what's best for um, yeah, for the long term, and because of the short term, uh, in this case, an 82 game season uh, might cost them money. Uh, for whatever reason, they're blinded by that. The other thing that I've taken out of this this whole mess for quite some time, Spaders, the spitting thing, because you're not allowed to spit because of COVID. And I'll repeat this again. And I, I now remember, it was 15 years ago, I was sitting with a woman that I was engaged to at the time. That fell through, of course. Woman you're engaged to and spitting. Yep. Well done. Oh, boy. And that was the other one. But this one, we were watching baseball, and she's looking at it, and she's going... Gosh, baseball players are so gross. Like every single shot, they're either spitting or hawking a lug or grabbing their crotch or something, right? So like 30 straight shots, she was right. There was either a spit or a crotch grab. And I'm going, oh, wow, baseball players are disgusting. It's legitimately impossible to play baseball without spitting. It's almost second nature, isn't it? What are they gonna do? Like, is it gonna be a swear jar type thing where every time you every time you spit, uh, you're throwing in twenty bucks into the pot? I don't know how how to even monitor this. You can't enforce it, and I bet you, even if you tried to stop spitting, you couldn't. Like, if you go outside when you throw your baseball with your girlfriend, don't you spit? You probably even know you're spitting if you spit. Yeah, I, I mean, I I know I I do it, but it's like you say, you kind of just you do it without even realizing it. Yeah, and even Charlie Blackman, this was great. I'm 100% going to spit. It's ingrained and playing in the game. I'm not chipping. <laughs> I'm not dipping or chewing gum. I'm still going to spit. i got to occupy my mind. This is, <laughs> this is baseball. Like, you can't get away. In football, I've got to occupy. Can you imagine in football, I have to occupy myself by spitting. NBA, NHL, i got to occupy myself by spitting. No, there's so much downtime that spitting is fun. That's the one. It's so much fun to do in baseball. I, I kind of... And inclined to think that may have been a mis misspeak on his part because that's not. There's no way that's what's occupying his mind. What like, spitting? How about the like even that? No sunflower seeds. What? What is baseball without sunflower seeds? Well, what's baseball without tobacco? Yeah, you know, we all got by that. That if you can get by without tobacco, you could get by without. You can't. You still can't get by without spitting. Well, the spitting's just too important. There's still some guys who are grandfathered with that, right? It's not actually banned. It's only banned for people, who, uh, new players, right? Guys, yeah. Guys who had done it for years were grandfathered and allowed to keep doing it, I believe. Right. That it, so you're not you don't even have baseball without tobacco. No, you've got you got nothing. So let's just get this going. Let's get the let's get this other freaking proposal out there with the players coming back and let's just get baseball back it's no time for labor discussions or well discussions definitely but uh disagreements because no one wants to hear it again the the owners are gonna look horrible and they don't give a shit and the players are gonna look horrible and they do care because a lot of them do want to go back to to playing you sent me that screenshot i think passing had this where it was the amount of money that they're gonna make as opposed to like a full season. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you made $35 million, but you played a half a season, you'd be making about 7.8 instead of what would have been 17.5. Right. You know, two-thirds of the players under a million dollars. It's tough to tell somebody to sacrifice and take one for the team because your country needs you, but this is legitimately the time when America needs baseball. 
I'm not going to be the one to stand stand here and say players uh, should be giving up their salaries uh, so that owners can continue to profit enormous amounts. I'm, I, I, you know, you know well. I'm also a capitalist, so I under, I guess I understand where the owners are coming from, but I, I I'm also an investor, so they. <laughs> I understand taking a short-term loss for a potential long-term gain. So that, that's, that's kind of where I stand, is pay, pay the players. Um, and my perspective is both that of for the player's benefit as well as the long-term benefit as an owner. Let's move on and get right into Spader. Stats, stats, stats. <laughs> Give me some stats, baby. Sammy Sosa. So Memorial Day was on Monday, and I saw the clip of Sammy Sosa hitting the home run right after 9-11, and he had the flag, and he's running around the base pass. And I'm saying to myself, sure, he left Chicago on a bad note with the Cubs. Sure, he was a juicer. But ultimately, this guy is one of the greatest hitters of his era. And I mean, 18 years, if you look at the Jaws, right, what are we talking about, seven years? Like in his prime, he's... <laughs> There's, there's not many guys better than him in the history of the game. I look at Sammy Sosa. I get it. People think he's weird. He's going through all these changes physically with his skin color. I, I got no problem with that, but everybody's making fun of him for that. Forget about it. Let's just look at the numbers. You look at the era he was in, fine. But we've got seasons, and I know a lot of you don't care about RBI. 66 home runs, 158. 63 home runs, 141. I mean, he had 160 RBIs in 2001. This guy did it at such a high level for such a long time. He belongs in the hall, Spader. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I want to tell, before we get into the numbers, I want to tell you a quick um, story on Sosa that always makes me laugh. I remember uh, occasionally when somebody follows me out of nowhere, um, I, I just click their, uh, and when I say out of nowhere, not associated with a... Um, a tweet or anything because occasionally they get a tweet that catches fire and I'll gain a couple in bunches but a single person and I'll click their bio just out of curiosity and read it and I remember I followed this one guy back because he had the greatest bio I'd ever seen it said uh I got a light-skinned friend look like Sammy Sosa oh, Jesus. got a dark-skinned friend <laughs> look like Sammy Sosa poor poor Sammy Sosa he weird dude and he kind of went off I'll tell you what pissed me off the most and I'll never forget this when he was in front of Congress and they asked him for his deposition. He's like, "Me, I don't speak English, or I don't." You know, he went through an interpreter, is what it was. Right, right. And I kind of look back now, and I say, if I was in another country and it was my second language, and you put me up in front of the most powerful, you know, people in the world outside of the president and the VP, and they had to go listen to me, I kind of understand where he was coming from. He did puss out, but you know who else pussed out? A guy you and I both respect from a playing standpoint, and Kurt Schilling. He's another guy that completely pussed out up there. So after time, 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 it makes you it makes things a little softer. You're not as upset. And I think we just look back at Sammy Sosa. Please give me some stats. This guy was so amazing. Um, so first, uh, he was actually originally signed by the Phillies in 1984. But really? it was voided. It was voided because he was only 15 years old. So that's how good of a baseball player this guy was, is that they knew at 15 years old this guy was going to be a major leaguer. Now, of course, the contract was voided, and he went on, played for the Rangers and the White Sox and then the Cubs. Uh, I think what he had stints with the uh, Rangers again and then the Orioles. But his Cubs is his best time. 
So you got Sosa from May 22nd, 1998 to June 2nd, 1999. He had 76 homers and 170 RBI over a 162 game span. Mm. So he didn't end up with the home run record uh, with exception to, I believe it was number 66 where he held it for a few minutes. But um, he did have those spans in there where he was hitting 60, 65, 70, 76 home runs over such a uh, a one-season, 162-game span. Uh, one of my favorites on Sosa is his – he has the um, – record for most three homer games he had six of them but even more fascinating than that to me is he once had a a span of 37 games from august 9th uh to september 23rd 2001 during which he had three three homer games three three homer games over a 37 game span and then you got babe ruth and henry aaron who have three such games combined for their careers. That's 5,801 total games played. Um, Sosa, uh, unquestionably, one of the greatest sluggers ever. Uh, I, I really enjoy his, um, uh, his, his, you look at a stat sheet and it's weird because he hit the 66 in 90, uh, 98 and then 63, 50, 64, and 49. But the only years he led the league were when he hit 50 and 49. He didn't lead it any of the years that he had 60, despite the fact that he owns 37.5% of all 60 homer seasons in Major League Baseball history because he was always outdone by somebody, be it McGuire, pardon me, McGuire or uh, Bonds. And then just the last one I got, you got to go with uh, number 21, Sammy Sosa, hit 21 home runs over a 22-game stretch from May 25th to June 21st, 1998, when he joined in that um, home run chase. And during that span of 22 games, he had a 1,066 slugging percentage. Mm. I'm just looking at Jaws here. So it's the you know, it's the heart of the of the career and he was just kind of average for right fielders which shocks me he uh, of all time uh let's see here so your your right field jaws leaders ruth aaron musial ott frank robinson then clemente uh you got to go down ichiro is 16 reggie smith is 17 and then sammy sosa followed by winfield your boy abreu vladdy guerrero and barry bonds who was not in right field who was out in right field for i mean not his whole career whatsoever but um isn't that fascinating how you just look at the i look at the numbers i say guys jaws must be off the off the off the rails here and really he's it he's in hall of fame territory but he's not in the top five or ten well i think sosa takes a hit defensively because he was actually a, a fantastic defensive player for the first half of his career um, defensive run saves in seasons with 15, 20, uh, I think he had 27 one year. Uh, but then later in his career, the defense kind of waned uh, where he was a negative value player. His, uh, his value was, of course, for the most part in, in his offense. And, um, you know, he had that, uh, that span that we talk about, the 98, 99, 2001, and 02, where his offensive war, just offensive, uh, and versus his war itself was um, uh, 34, and he had total 33.1 total war over that span, but with a negative defensive wins above replacement. 
And let's stay a little old school here. Talk about a guy. I actually found my two autographs that I have from Will Clark. The Natural, Will the Thrill. His rookie cards back in 1986, 87. More valuable than Barry Bonds. Seriously, when that when the rookie card craze was going in the heart back in the mid to late 80s, it was Wally Joyner and Will Clark that first year. I mean, those guys really just took the took the scene and i always thought will clark was going to be hall of famer i think i paid 20 bucks an autograph come to think of it uh and, and i remember him signing the cards not saying much the thing i remember more is about him banging rafael palmiro's wife that was that. you didn't know that i'll have to get that story for hold you on, hold on what you mean to tell me they were teammates in college hold on hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. you mean to tell me the dude who was doing the Viagra commercials? Maybe that's why. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, poor Palmero. What's that? It's a poor Palmero. Three thousand. Yeah. Three thousand hits, five hundred homers, not in the Hall of Fame, and uh, allegedly banged Rafi's wife or his girlfriend and stole her, and then ended up marrying her. It was just a disaster. Yeah. Will the thrill. Um, but they were college teammates and major league teammates too. But anyways, please, I, I went off on the rails here. This guy was supposed to be the next great player. Um, I think he was a great player. I, I got a message from somebody the other day, and it piqued my curiosity. I occasionally will get these where people are having debates with their friends or something, and this guy said, um, uh, Don Mattingly... If Don Mattingly hadn't played for the Yankees, he'd be Will Clark. I disagree. Mattingly won batting titles in an MVP, if memory serves correctly. Um, do you have anything on that? And I looked into it, and I was like, if Don Mattingly didn't play for the Yankees, he wouldn't be Will Clark because Don Mattingly wasn't Will Clark on the Yankees. Uh, I think Clark was better than Matt, uh, Mattingly, and I don't think it was particularly cl close. Uh, Mattingly, of course, did have that MVP, but as we've talked about before, Wade Boggs should have won that, or any other number of guys should have won that. Mattingly's teammate, Ricky Henderson, perhaps should have won that. And he won one batting title, not batting titles, as this individual uh, insisted, but as, as we've learned now, batting average is not the end-all, be-all. And when Mattingly won his batting title, he did so in a season in which he had an on-base percentage that was three points lower than what Will Clark had for his entire career. Mm-hmm. If you go through the wins above replacement, the, you know, the, the uh, Sabre metrics, uh, Clark averaged nearly one more win, se uh, 0 0.784, uh, per 162 games. Um, and he had a 10% better offensive output in terms of OPS throughout his career. So I, I came to the school thought, again, that Clark was better, and it, it really wasn't even close. And I think hold on, I just can't wrap my head against this around this. Will Clark was better than Don Mattingly? I, I say so, yes, absolutely. How is that possible? That just by the numbers. I mean, I didn't, I, I only remember the end of not even Mattingly's career, but the end of uh, Will Clark's career, which. I, I don't know if he had injuries or something, but it, it kind of seemed to end prematurely because if you look at what he did in his final season or over his final 162 games, he batted 318, 424, 536. The guy absolutely could hit still, so I'm not really sure where um, 
why he left baseball when he did. He was still playing a decent first base. He was always an average first baseman fielder. Uh, that's where Mattingly did have him because Mattingly was a great defensive first baseman. But it, the numbers across the board, I, I, I don't know where he falls short. And I think it's a case like we, when we um, talked about Rizzo where he's a first baseman. Uh, he, he was a first baseman who fell shy of a 500 slugging percentage. Um, he was more of a doubles hitter. And didn't have any of those huge landmark um, numbers like the 500 home runs, let alone even 300 home runs, uh, 500 doubles he was short of, uh, only 2,176 hits. But you look at this guy's career and his body of work, and uh, it's hard for me to say that he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, especially when you have people saying Don Mattingly belongs in the Hall of Fame or he's a borderline candidate. Uh, and you look at Will Clark, and he's so much better across the board, offensively anyway. Well, Don Mattingly, in all in all seriousness, this is the eye test, the best defensive first baseman I've ever seen. Okay, that's the first thing. Second of all, this is baseball in New York. He's a Yankee, so obviously he's going to get. I don't think you should get bonus points. For no, no, no. You don't. You shouldn't. But you're going to get more because you were a Yankee, and that's just the way it is. Okay, you play in New York. That's why Derek Jeter, if Derek Jeter played for the St. Louis Cardinals, he'd still be a Hall of Famer. But do you think he'd be nearly the stud or superstar that we've seen in the past? No, no. Part of the allure of Derek Jeter was playing with the Yankees. Same thing with Don Mattingly. I never put Will Clark in the same category as Don Mattingly because Don Mattingly for about five years if he wasn't the best player in baseball, he was one of the top two or three players and best players in baseball. Actually, I would go from about 1984 to 1987. So a four-year span, Don Mattingly was the best player in baseball. I, it, I, in my I estimation, disagree. for a four-year span. And this was back in the 80s, from 84 to 87. I don't think there's any point in time in Will Clark's career that you could say he was the best. Uh, I wouldn't say the best in baseball, but uh, Mattingly just, uh, he had those numbers at the time, the back of the baseball card numbers that people loved. And again, he played for the Yankees. But you look at 84 to 87, what, four-year span, he he was only a 25, I say only, it's really good, but it's it's by far from the best. He was a um, uh, 25 war player that's... 6.3 per season. I have Will- a hard time looking at war back then just because guys were asked to do different things. You know, we talk about sure, that I, all the time. I, yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you. But then when you look at um, Mattingly, let's, I mean, let's look at what 80, you said, 84 to 87. Mm-hmm. He had the high average seasons and average 337 for, for that span. But then you got a guy like Tony Gwynn who was 338 hitter for his career. And during that span, he had a 381 on-base percentage. Uh, and I realized that wasn't really a stat yet, but Clark was 384 for his career, and that's the most important thing in baseball, in my opinion, is getting on base. And when a guy got on base as much as Will Clark did at a 384 clip, and then you compare to Donnie Baseball, um, who you're during your four year span that you're saying he was arguably the best player in baseball uh, and he averaged 381 well then you're probably looking at Clark as a Hall of Famer as a better player in fact Mattingly only had two seasons in which he had an on-base percentage 
that was better than what Clark had for his career. Clark was sneaky in getting on base. 384 is is nothing short of spectacular. You're talking the same level at which Tony Gwynn got on base. And then he had a couple of seasons. I mean, his, he's one of the guys you don't really talk about with, who lost out in 1994. He was batting 329, 431, 501 that year. That guy was absolutely raking. Finished 15th in the MVP voting for whatever reason because that's a, that's a fantastic season. And then I look at the... Adjusted OPS plus, and from top to bottom, uh, he he was always above average. He had no season in which he was below average or even average, and he was 137 for his career. And then you look top to uh, top to bottom, you got seasons where he was 175, 160, 167, 153, 152, 148, 45, 41, 29, 28, 28. Uh, he, this guy's a stellar batsman. He was a stellar batsman. He was also the MVP of the 1989 NLCS. I'll never forget that series because everybody in Chicago was so uh, so excited. The Cubbies were back in the playoffs, first time since 84. They're going to win it again. Then Will Clark, <laughs> he hit 650 with a pair of home runs in that series. Imagine it in 650 in five games. and He, was the, he single-handedly destroyed the Cubs, single-handedly. He was an excellent hitter. I just don't see him as a Hall of Famer. He or Mattingly. And the difference, here's the other difference. The numbers, you know what? The numbers don't lie. The numbers, the way we evaluate players these days, Clark has Mattingly. But you cannot say that Will Clark was, or you can't even say he was in the discussion for one of the three best players in baseball really at any point in time in his career more than a year. That's how I look at it, going back in time and thinking who the best players were. And, hey, his 1988 season was – actually, if you go back to his 87, 88, and 89, he was terrific for three years, and he picked it up again in 91. He just didn't have the same allure, I think, as Don Mattingly. That should not matter as far as the Hall of Fame. I think both of them are short. Do you think he is a Hall of Famer? Will Clark. Um I'm I'm still I'm still out on that. I, I don't, I'm not really sure yet. I definitely think he's more of a Hall of Famer than Mattingly, though. And let me ask you this: You flipped him, put uh, Clark, make him a career Yankee. Mm-hmm. Do you think he would be looked at entirely differently with that, yes. that career? The first what was it? Eight years of his career when he was in San Francisco. If he played those first years, those first eight years with the Yankees, yes, he would have been the most popular player in baseball. Right, he would have been right there with everybody else. You're kind of, kind of answering. And didn't he have a lot better park to deal with in New York too? But if you, if you never saw baseball in Candlestick Park, it was impossible to hit there. The winds were always swirling. It was always cold. The fences were way deep. I'm sure you have some stats on Candlestick Park and how bad of a hitter's park it was. But Yankee Stadium, at least Mattingly, had the porch in right field. Will Clark played in just a horrible place to hit until he went to Texas, which was the best place to hit. Yeah, well, you look at, and he did resurge in Texas. Not that he had a re- really needed resurgence, but um, look at that uh, 1989 season. And uh, I don't know, he probably could have won the MVP over Kevin Mitchell. Uh, wins above replacement will tell you that, sure. But, but they didn't have that, of course. But you, you look at the the season. He had he had Mitchell in runs. He had uh, 38 more hits, fewer homers, of course. Um, really close in RBI. Uh, he was probably on base for a bunch for Mitchell's. And then um, 
smoked him in batting average, which was important then. Yeah, that's not – come on. That's not even close, I don't think. Mitchell had 24 more home runs, right? Yeah. I mean, I just don't – I don't even think that's close. Um, but I get what you're saying. And I've told you the Kevin Mitchell cat story, right? No. Come on. I didn't tell you this two years ago when we did the pod? I don't, I don't know. All right, here's the story. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but it's, uh, it's a true story. And this was, I can't remember whose book this was in either. But anyways, um, Doc Gooden is hanging out at his house. And there's a female there. There's another male. And Kevin Mitchell's over there too. And by the end of this whole debacle that happens, and I'll prep for this so that we do our next show, I'll really get into this. Kevin Mitchell allegedly cut Doc Gooden's cat's head off. Okay. And that's not a good thing to do, is it? Um, Probably no. illegal. Could you imagine if somebody did that now? Uh, so the story goes, Kevin Mitchell little... cut a cat's head off at Doc Gooden's place. Any... Uh reason why <laughs> it was okay here's here i just found something up did kevin mitchell of the mets kill his girlfriend's cat okay here we go so yes the mets outfielder daryl strawberry said kevin mitchell did do that so it was doc so, gooden was kevin mitchell doc gooden was around but but kevin mitchell cut a cat's head off yes he was just angry that day uh, that's you got to be really freaking angry to cut off a cat's head. But I will say, um, I, you know, I'm definitely a dog person over cats. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to cut a cat's head off. Uh, I don't really like them that much, though. I, I don't either, but them. I don't want to hurt them. I don't really want to hurt them either. But um, I do think that if people who, are, you know, are cat people, I, I always want to be like, hey, you know, if that cat was bigger, it would eat you. Yes. Like, yeah, they're predators. You're right. They're jerks, most of them. Some are nice, but most of them are mean. Yeah, not a... But I'm pro-cat. I'm just... I'm, I don't I'm, want one. I w- I'm not going to say I'm pro-cat, but I, I will say I'm anti-cat uh, head removal. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so anyways, it was Gooden's autobiography back in 1999. Um so yeah, Mitchell decided to cut the cat's head off because he was in a bad mood. I'll look more into that and tell you more of the story, but that's why I'm not a big Kevin Mitchell fan. Uh, I, I, I can't, yeah, I can't get behind it. You got to be a pretty sick son of a bitch. Yeah, even if you're angry that day, don't take it out on the cat. And and I, and I have a Bowie knife too. So yeah, would you do it? <laughs> no, not I got a machete. Do you? Yeah, I love my machete. That's pretty cool. You let uh, your daughter play with it. Uh, actually, she tried to chop one thing, and she almost cut my leg off, so I told her to stop. Uh, oh, we, boy. Yeah, we have one more thing to get to in the show before we get out of here. And you and I had had a Twitter conversation about this or a text conversation. So the National League is going to need DHs this year. If, what's Barry, 53? Can Barry Bonds still DH? I, I Seriously. I honestly think he could still produce at the big league level. But more of a pinch hitter, right? Because he can't go out on the base pass and run. He, I mean, he rides his bike all the time. He's probably in better shape than some baseball players. I mean, look, what's the old John Crux saying? We're, lady, I'm a baseball player, not an athlete. And uh, <laughs> Barry, Barry Bonds is an athlete, and he still is. 
Yeah, I, I think he could. I think he could play. You think Barry Bonds could step in there right now in the National League and be an everyday DH? Yeah. Uh, here, just for fun, because there's bad, bad hitters out there. That's why I'm saying that. That's why I thought about this. I'm like, there's so many bad benches in the National League, and somebody's going to have to DH for a lot of these teams, like the Marlins. And there's no way he's going back to the Marlins. By the way, that's not happening. Hitting coach, it was over. That 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 bit, bridge is burned. Where could he go? Um, oof. back back to the Giants. What? Uh, I said back to the Giants. Who knows? But you're talking 13 years removed. Um, but it's it's worth taking a look at. Is his last 162 games, he batted 289, 473, 596 with 39 home runs. He had 154 walks to just 66 strikeouts during that span. If you get half that player, that's still somebody who can produce at a big league level. It really is fascinating because that's where we are. I still think he could cheat and catch up to a fastball. There weren't guys throwing 101 out of the bullpen when he was playing. He owned Eric Gagne. I know that. And he could still, he's not going to be as fast now as he was even 10 years ago. Okay. It just happens. The body slows down. He could probably cheat on some fastballs. My issue with it, even though it's an 82 game season, I don't know if his body would hold up. And I think that once he got on the base pass, it'd be, it'd be tough. To get him moving, man. I mean, he could he could hit something that a lot of guys would get a triple out of and end up with a single. That's my only issue with Bonds would be, and it's not going to happen. I just think it's a great conversation that he would be fine as a pinch hitter. I don't think he could DH every day. Well, one one thing I'll, I'll point at is he won his first MVP in 1990. Um, his next one or his last one was in 2004. So maybe it comes back and you got that same 15-year span in between MVPs, Barry Bonds for the uh, 2020 82-game season National League MVP. I would love that so much. <laughs> Could you imagine? Dude, I uh, would love that so much if he just came back. Just to bring it uh, full circle, I don't know if you recall, but Rafael Palmero was making a charge at trying to come back at 53 years old mm-hmm. um, and played professional baseball in 2018 uh, for a double-A team, uh, independent league, though. Uh, and he batted 301, 424, 495 in 31 games for that team at 53 years old. So I, I, I just I really think Barry Bonds could, could produce. Um, f- what I find fascinating about that uh, Palmero season, right, is he was playing with his son, Patrick, and uh, dad... <laughs> Far outperformed his 28 year old son. Really? 301 to 255, 424 to 306, and 495 to 379. Could you imagine the shit that Patty Palmero was getting from his boys on the team because his old man was, was crushing him with the bat? I mean, we're talking about one of the great hitters in the history of the game in Rafael Palmero. No one talks about him anymore. It's- because Nobody. because of the whole I didn't do anything and then he, he ended up doing it. But you don't care. But he's one of the great hitters. I mean, his son is twenty eight. He's probably a jabroni. If he didn't have the name on the back, would he even be playing? I don't know. Well, it's been a while since that happened. All right, Spader. Thanks a lot, buddy. We will uh, catch you. As a matter of fact, we got another show coming up on Friday. This has been the walk off.